The podcast you are about to listen to is from St. Andrew's Park Circle. For more information about us, please visit standandrewsparkcircle.com. I want to begin this morning just with a question, and it's a question I don't want you to think about, just a question that I want you to answer and just hold that answer in your head. And if you're a kid with us this morning, so glad you're with us, I want you to answer this question quietly to yourself too. Here's the question, ready? Who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that question? What would be the first thing that jumps into your mind when you are asked the question, who are you? I have a friend who is a, uh, just joined a part of a workout community, and part of this workout community, they meet really early in the morning, and part of the, the deal is you meet with this group, and they, they give you a nickname on the first day that you show up. And so they asked him that question, who are you? And he starts to tell them about, well, he's a father, and he's a husband, and he, and he studied overseas, and he actually went to this really prestigious university in England, and they said, stop. Just stop right there. We have your nickname. From here on out, your nickname shall be Earl Grey, which I think is a fantastic nickname. I, I have much worse nicknames, but... That's a great nickname to be known as Earl Grey. Last week, we looked at this teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and we looked at this section in Luke chapter 6, this kind of block of, of teachings that Jesus gave, and Luke is driving at a question for this first part of the Gospel that he wrote. He's driving at a very specific question, and it is the question, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? So we're going to look at that question this morning. And we're going to look at how Luke presents it to us a couple thousand years later. Let's pray. Father, we believe that your Bible, your scripture, your word is not just good lessons for us to learn from, but they actually show us your heart. They reveal to us your son. And they allow your Holy Spirit to open our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that as we open this section of Luke's gospel, that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but it would be life and peace and healing and grace. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We began reading a little bit further on in Luke. We're going to jump back a little bit to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to move a little quicker than we normally do, but I want you to see kind of the 30,000-foot view of what Luke is really shooting for in these first couple chapters of his gospel. So we're going to begin, actually, in Luke chapter 7, a little bit before. Luke is asking this question, who is Jesus? And after this section of teachings, what we get is we get all of these little kind of few verse stories about what Jesus was doing. And they're probably stories that if you grew up in the church, you're probably a little familiar with these stories. They're stories that talk about his healings and his, his raising the dead and casting out demons, all, all of these, these miraculous things that Jesus is doing, but they're designed with a point. And that point is to get our hearts to ask this question, who is Jesus? And so in Luke chapter 7, verse 1, 
we have him healing this servant of a Roman centurion. And it, it kind of prompts our hearts. That we know the Romans were the enemies. They were an occupying force in Israel. So who heals the servant of their enemy? Who is this guy, Jesus, that is healing the servant of his enemy? Moving down a little bit further, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. There's a widow, and she has a son in the city of Nain or the town of Nain, and he passes away. And you have Jesus raising this widow's son. Who is this that calls the dead back to life? It brings back this memories of, of Elijah the prophet and Elijah raised this widow's son. And now Jesus is here raising this widow's son. But there's, there's more to this because where Elijah used his prayers and some of these rituals, Jesus does none of that. Jesus just commands and it happens. Who is this that does such things? We could read on. John the Baptist, his followers show up and they explicitly ask the question in verse 19, are you the one that we should be waiting for? We could go on and we see Jesus forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 25, Jesus, the storm comes, the waves and the winds. Verse 25, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the waters to obey him. These little sections of verses are called pericopes. And they're ordered and organized in such a way that it drives home a point. Like if you have a nail and a hammer and you're just hammering that nail into a piece of wood. Luke again and again wants our hearts to ask this question, who is this Jesus? And then we get to the text that we read this morning, that we heard George read, read this morning. Chapter 8, verse 40. We get another pericope. And by now, our minds are kind of like, okay, we know how this is going to go. There's somebody who's sick and dying, and Jesus is going to go and, and heal them. But then we get an interruption. And we need to pay attention to that interruption. We get this interruption of a woman that interacts with Jesus. So much of Jesus' ministry is in the interruptions. I view interruptions as annoyances, right? The phone rings, the email comes in. God, now I gotta deal with, with this. It's interrupting what I think I should be doing, yet so much of Jesus' ministry happens in the interruption. The kingdom of God shows up in the interruptions, and that's what we see here. Verse 40, now Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of a synagogue, and falling at his feet, he employed Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. We've been reading section after section, and we think we know how this is going to go. As Jesus went, people pressed around him. Verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who has touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd is pressing around you. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived that power had gone out of me. Pay attention to the interruptions. 
this woman who has been suffering for 12 years has spent all that she's had on doctors trying to find out how she could be well is at the end of her rope. Have you ever been there? I think I've I've been in, in desperate times. I've been in desperate situations. I've been excluded. I've been lonely. I've never been that place for 12 years. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you? Maybe you have. This woman has been ostracized. Her condition would have made her ceremonially unclean according to the Levitical law. And so that means that she is just not just poor and broke, but she is ostracized from her community. That no one could touch her. No one could hug her. No one could hold her hand. No one could walk next to her because she was unclean. And if by chance they would bump into her on the street, there was a whole series of hoops they then had to go through in order to be clean again. This woman is suffering. And so she interrupts Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who who was it that touched me? This is a strange passage. It seems that someone has pulled one over on Jesus, right? It seems like somebody has gotten Jesus to do something unintentionally that he didn't intend to do in the first place. And Luke is really specific here that this woman reached out in a moment of desperation and touched what? Touched his shoulder? Grabbed his elbow? No, she reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment. Why so specific, Luke? What's so special about the fringe on his garment? Matthew will tell the same story. He'll recount the same series of events. He includes this in his gospel telling as well, and he'll include the same detail, that this woman reaches out and grabs onto the fringe of his garment. That's a strange detail to include. Mark, in his gospel, chapter, five, chapter 6, verse 56, says this, And when he, Jesus, came into these villages and cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. What's going on here? Matthew, at the end of his gospel, would say this about the religious elites of their day. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylactery boards long and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor in the feast and the best seats of the synagogue. Here's another reference of fringes as this act of display, that there's something going on here. To understand exactly what is happening, we need to go way back into the Old Testament. We need to go to the Levitical laws, to the Pentateuch, the first five books, to Numbers chapter 15 to be exact. This is what Numbers 15, 37 says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout generations and to put a cord of blue on each tassel in the corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow after your own eyes. 
So the people of God were to make tassels. They were to make little fringes on the bottoms of their garments as a way of visually remembering the promises that God had made to his people, the covenants, the commandments that God had made to his people. So what is this woman really reaching out for? She is reaching out to lay hold of the commandments of God. There is power that resides in the strong promises of God because they point to something and they point to someone. Let's jump back ahead into Luke again. Verse 45, chapter 8, and Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you, they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been made immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Here's how Luke is answering the question we asked earlier. Who is Jesus? There's not some secret magic in the fringe of Jesus' garment. No one pulled one over on Jesus and got him to do something he didn't want to do in the first place. Faith. Faith never stands alone. Just blind faith for blind faith's sake is useless. Just to have faith that it's all going to work out is empty spirituality. Faith always has an object. We always have faith in something or someone. And this woman placed her faith in Jesus. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What is the object of your faith this morning? Is it faith in the fashion statement of Jesus? In some archaic tradition, what is the object, what is the substance of your faith? Is it faith in the promises that God has given his people, promises to redeem? Faith always has an object. And this woman that we read about this morning answers that question for Luke. There is, she has faith in Jesus. I think we're getting close to our answer of who is Jesus. Have you ever been to modern-day Israel? You ever stood at the temple wall? The way that Hebrews pray today has not really changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. We often pray kneeling, especially in this season of Lent. Uh, we often pray kneeling or sitting or having our arms, our hands folded quietly. If you go to Israel, you'll see at the, at the wall, you'll see that they pray standing up. They pray standing up, and they often kind of rock back and forth. This is the way that Jesus would have been familiar with praying. It was an active thing. They don't kneel, they don't prostrate themselves, they stand up, they rock a little bit, and they wear a, sh a, sh a shawl or a scarf called a kanaf. And that kanaf has tassels called the tzitzi, or at the very bottoms of it. And often you would wrap the tassels around your hands as you are praying and you would 
hold your hands out to heaven. So get that picture in your head real quick. Think about that picture. You have these tassels, the end of this scarf kind of wrapped in your hands. The scarf is over your shoulders and the scarf is kind of hanging down kind of behind you. Jesus would have been praying like that. If we go over just real quick to end up into Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It says, but you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you should go leaping like calves from the stall. The son of righteousness, the prophesied coming Messiah, one of the ways that he would be identified with that there would be healing in his wings. If you were standing outstretched with your arms and your prayer shawl hanging down, it would resemble wings. In fact, it is the same Hebrew word used in Malachi 4, chapter 4, verse 2. This interrupting, this nameless woman at the end of her rope reaching out to Jesus is holding on to the promises of God because she is convinced that he is the prophesied Messiah, the one who is going to come. He is the Messiah who has appeared with healing in his wings and he responds to her, daughter. Not stranger, not generic term for woman. He says, daughter. Revealed, now uncovered, now made whole. Your faith has healed. Your faith in in him, in Jesus, has healed you. Go in peace. So who is this Jesus? He is the son of righteousness who has risen with healing in his wings. He is the long-awaited Messiah who has come to usher in a kingdom which we have been called to. There's a part two to this story. We'll get into that next week. But this morning, this is the question that I want to confront you with. Who is this Jesus? Who do you say that he is? C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. He says this, quote, I'm ready to accept that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man says the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must either choose. You must choose. Either this man is the son of God or else a madman or something else. Who is Jesus? Luke wants us to know. If you have walked through life asking that question, then my encouragement is inviting you to seek that answer and to see by faith. But not faith to have faith, faith in someone, faith in something that has happened 2,000 years ago, faith that is we are preparing to celebrate as we walk through this season of Lent with its long confessions and purple cloths as we walk towards the joy of Easter. We end our sermons just with a practice, something that you can engage in this week. As Anna Catherine comes this morning, um, I would love to encourage you this morning. Go back to Luke chapter 7. 
take one of those short stories, one of those pericopes, one of those small moments, take one a day, read through it slowly, intentionally. If you don't have a Bible, come find me afterwards. I, will, I have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. But ask that question, who is Jesus? Who does Scripture say that he is? Is he the son of righteousness with healing in his wings? The time after the sermon is often called an offertory. And it is the time where you can just sit and listen to hear what's going on in your own hearts. We don't have places like that in our culture these days. But I want to invite you to take the next few minutes and ask of your own heart, who is this Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we have walked through a week that has held probably the unexpected, probably a great many interruptions. And we can most assuredly look towards next week and see probably a week where we don't know what's going to happen and probably a lot of interruptions. But Father, we thank you for the interruption of this woman who in her desperation reached out to the son of righteousness and found healing and hope and restoration. And so, Father, let her testimony be our story this morning as we ask that question, who is Jesus?